0: Live from Utrecht, this is Bitcoin. Explained. sure are we still making a bi-weekly podcast? Uh, I mean, it depends on what you mean by
1: bi. It's, it's more like a feeling, right? We make a podcast when we feel about it these days. Is that the rule? No, it's also when we're not traveling or sick or whatever
0: or we don't have a good idea for a podcast this is a good moment actually to maybe make a call to our audience like we will take requests for topics or at least we will consider requests for topics if if any of our listeners have good ideas of things that they want to have explained by us um just let us know on twitter and we will consider it okay right yours oh that's true all right so um yeah last one was i guess a month ago i, I don't know what, when this one is going to be published because i think our editor is now traveling he's in amsterdam oh okay he's coming cool. to our meetup tonight uh we're recording this on what is it wednesday oh,
1: wednesday 20th 20th of april
0: yeah and there will be the biggest meetup of your Euro- in europe in all of europe in amsterdam tonight George. isn't okay. that exciting we we recently discovered that it's probably the biggest one in europe so now that's our main marketing push
1: interesting I guess that's because there's nothing happening in Prague at the moment or
0: um I mean cause they have pretty I, I big think, meetups. I think it's also part yeah I mean we didn't fact check it but I, f- I think it's the biggest one in Europe but and, you mean and the and biggest also, Bitcoin
1: meetup which then meets some like narrow definition of Bitcoiner or, or Bitcoin
0: uh just the biggest like, Bitcoin not, meetup we know of I don't think we're doing very narrow definitions I but, mean there's uh, Bitcoin Wednesday
1: which has nothing to do with bitcoin.
0: Right. That yeah, that's also Amsterdam. I mean, is that bigger than ours? I don't know. Who knows? Could be. All right, let's get to the actual meat of this episode. Indeed. Uh we are going to discuss I'll probably we'll probably have this published I think on the day that Bitcoin Core 23 is released because that's what we're going to be discussing. Bitcoin Core 23. That's
1: always a bit of a risky statement because it can take a while before it gets released. Um, but hopefully it'll be at the same time. Yep. Yeah, at the time, at the
0: time we're recording this, we're on release candidate 5. I don't think there's been many Bitcoin Core releases that required more than 5 release candidates, right? Indeed. Um, by the way, this is not in the show notes, but maybe that's a good starting point. Sure. what is actually a re- release candidate?
1: Well, it's a candidate for a release, uh, to put it simply. So basically... Uh, it's a way for the Bitcoin Core developers, or really any software project, to give uh, experienced user a chance to test the software. Right, um, and what are
0: they testing it for?
1: Well, they're testing something that's going to be as close to the final version as possible. In fact, the very last release candidate is eventually copied and called the actual release.
0: Yeah, so in this case, release candidate 5. If I think they're basically guys like you, Bitcoin Core developers and other expert users maybe they're sort of trying out the software looking for bugs and yeah exactly
1: or changes that like are not correctly documented so for example if you're running a say a bitcoin atm or something and and you're relying on a bitcoin core node to do all sorts of automated stuff then you would test the new release candidate to make sure that all the automated stuff you were relying on you know, still works, and there's not some subtle change that right it causes your ATM to send free money to its users.
0: Right, and that that lasts for like about a week, and then if no issues are found, the latest release kind of is essentially rebranded to whatever the new Bitcoin Core release is. So, well, yeah, I
1: mean, there's there is an actual new release made, um, but but it has the same code in it. The only thing that changes then is the version number. So yeah,
0: right. Okay, so Bitcoin Core uh, 23, that's where we're at. Um, For those that don't know this, Bitcoin Core releases a new Bitcoin Core release every six months, more or less. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the new Bitcoin Core release will basically just include whatever was ready at that time. Bitcoin Core doesn't wait for specific futures. It's just once every six months, whatever's ready is in there, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so uh, we're going to discuss some of the most notable changes. Uh, Let's begin. Sure, we we're going to begin with, um, there's something about ports.
1: Yes. Yeah. So as you may or may not know, Bitcoin Core listens to other nodes, if it's on a public network, on port number 8333.
0: Yeah. And by listens, you basically mean just communicate with, right? Or what's the more...
1: Listening means that it it is listening to the outside world. So you can actually connect to it if you're in the outside world. A node could also just be on the internet but not listen to anyone in the world. So you might not know where it is. And even if you send a message to it, it won't hear you.
0: Right. So if I'm running a Bitcoin Core node and it's a listening node, which is like a setting?
1: It's actually the default. However, in your home situation, it's not going to listen by default. Right. And that's not well, because of a setting in Bitcoin Core, but... Other reasons we'll probably get yeah into. we'll
0: get into that in a bit so but essentially if i'm running a bitcoin core listening note let's just call it that for now and uh you use you, yours you're also running a node and if you want to communicate with my node if you want to connect with my node then you're going to connect with my node on port 8333 free, free, right that's, so yes. far so good that's right okay so what is a port what does this actually mean
1: so a, a port is part of the i believe it's a tcp protocol um Uh, The TCP IP protocol, basically. So the idea is an IP address is is where the computer is. That's what it tells you. Mm -hmm. And the port is actually just a a thing inside of the messages that you're sending it to it. So, you know, the internet uses packages. And these packages, they have a certain structure. And the beginning of the package says, okay, uh, this is the port I want to communicate on. So it's just a convention, a, a kind of a way to talk to different services on the same machine. So one server on the internet might run a web server... And it might also run an email server and it might run a Bitcoin node. And so one convention you'll use is if you want to talk to the web server, talk to port 80 or port 443. If you want to talk to the FTP server, talk to port 21. If you want to talk to the Bitcoin node, talk to port 8333. So it's just, it's kind of like if you're sending somebody a letter and you you write down the uh, the number of whatever the, um, you know, the office they're in.
0: Yeah, or the name in that case, right? Uh, you know, there's several people living on the same address and then the name actually specifies who, who it's for.
1: Yeah, maybe Wh- two. Yep. Yeah.
0: So, it, And these are
1: conventions, right? So IP addresses are, are a scarce resource they are distributed across the world. Um, so there are some centralization involved there. But when it comes to ports, you know, there are standards and conventions out there, but your machine decides what it does on which port. There's nobody on the outside can tell you what to do. Yeah, it's so just a very bad idea to use the wrong port. For so, this.
0: so your computer connects with my computer. It tells my computer I'm going to use port eight three three three, which is just you know convention, a convention, a specification of you know the, something we chose. Uh-huh. And at that point, my computer knows, oh, that means he wants to connect to Bitcoin Core, right? Yeah, because okay.
1: Bitcoin Core told your computer that it's it wants to listen on that port.
0: Right. So, and that's uh th- that's the convention, but. There's a problem with this?
1: Yeah, so one uh, thing is that internet providers and others can filter the internet traffic. And one way you can filter the internet traffic is just by looking at which port uh, a package is going to. Because that's very easy to see, it's at the start of each package. And you usually have to check that anyway for other reasons. So one thing an internet provider could do is just say, well, we don't like Bitcoin, let's just block port A333. Specifically,
0: Right. So in a very sort of Bitcoin hostile future w- where perhaps Bitcoin is banned or whatever and ISPs want to stop people from using Bitcoin, this would be one way for them to do it. Yeah, They're this would be gonna-
1: the easiest, the lowest hanging fruit way to do it. It's certainly not um, a very effective way to do it. But um, it's one start. It's certainly also not the only thing they can do.
0: And the reason it's not very effective is because we have the option to just use different ports. Is that right? Right.
1: So that's the cat and mouse game. So if they make that move, then the second move is okay. We just start using other ports. But in order to prepare for that situation, I guess, um, one of the changes that are in the new version is that... Uh, Bitcoin nodes will connect to other nodes that have a different port. So they, well, do, they don't do that now? They will do all? it if you if you tell it to. But uh, one thing we talked about in the earlier episode is that your node keeps a list of other nodes that it could connect to. And from that list, it tends to pick nodes that have port A333. And only if that fails after a long time, then it'll try other ports. and And that's the preference that's being removed now. So it'll just try any other node regardless of what port it has which means that if we move to such a future where where nodes are listening on different ports, uh, it's not, you know, it's gonna be less friction.
0: Right, so right now you're running a node source and by default your node will try to connect to other nodes and then it will prioritize port 8333 nodes. And so if I'm running a node on another port then, and, and everyone is like you, then I will just not have any inbound connections from other nodes because everyone's sort of ignoring me because I'm not using 8333, is that right? Yeah. Right, So, and this is changing now. This is changing new Bitcoin core where you won't prioritize A333. You'll just connect to whatever node. Yeah, exactly.
1: And there is, I think, a a list of nodes, a list of ports that we don't connect to uh, because it could be perceived as an attack. But I think that list is pretty short. Right.
0: Okay, so this is basically preparing for a potential dystopian future where Bitcoin is very much... uh, I mean,
1: Bitcoin is always preparing for a potentially I, dystopian issues so yeah.
0: yeah but just to clarify that for the listener yeah but also so to
1: clarify this you know this is not gonna make the difference it's like just one chess move and and the counter move is pretty obvious so there's, there's all sorts of ways for internet providers to see that you're running a bitcoin node right. not just the port you're on okay but got that's it. the easiest way and you know uh, enemies are lazy so
0: okay well so that covers that change correct yeah all right uh let's move on to the next point uh cj sorry i'm mispronouncing it already DNS.
1: yeah that, yeah i have no idea what it really is to be honest it's kind of in the list of you have tor and it i2p that we talked about and it's not a complete replacement of these things but it's sort of similar or ish so it's, it,
0: so it's like some it, kind of anonymity network that you can use if you want to use the internet more privately
1: exactly that- and so, if you know what that is, now you can use it with Bitcoin Core. I think that will be the first step to put it.
0: So, Bitcoin Core has included support for CJDNS.
1: That's right. And uh, so, in the beginning, so a couple of episodes ago, we talked about the address gossip messages and how it used to be that we could communicate IPv4 addresses, IPv6 addresses, and uh, Tor V2 addresses. And that you know it wasn't possible to communicate Tor v3 addresses because they were too long, yada, yada And so they came up with a new standard called Address Message Format number two, which was which allowed you to send addresses of very different sizes and very easily add new networks to that. And this is just one of the new networks that's added to it. So these nodes can not, you can't just use it; you can also gossip them around and things like that.
0: Right. Um, details about CJDNS itself is not something that we can provide to the listener, I think, or at least no. be, that's sort of outside of our, or at least outside of my expertise, and I think outside of yours as well. Yeah. Okay. But it's Bitcoin Core supports a new privacy, or is it new? Do you know if it's new? It, I don't it? think it's new. Okay. It just uh, supports an additional privacy network if you want to use it. Great. Yep. I like it. Sure. Next next um yeah so there's an upgrade in the fee estimation um algorithm in bitcoin core yeah so obviously whenever you want to make a transaction uh bitcoin core has this option to uh increase or decrease the fee depending on how fast you want your transaction to confirm which depends on things like how many transactions are in the mempool or how many how high fees were in recent blocks i think these are sort of some of the inputs when yeah i think i think it looks at
1: made. yeah exactly i think it looks at how high fees were in recent blocks but it also think checks how long it took before it first saw it in a mempool and when it was in a block i'm not exactly sure right but, but and the then diff-
0: yeah so and that has been upgraded to include rbf replaced by fee transactions is that right
1: yeah i mean you could call it an upgrade i mean Initially, it would just consider all transactions in the mempool. But then, when RBF was introduced, I think it was decided to not to ignore those RBF fee bumps. Uh, so, a fee bump is like you increase the fee of an existing transaction. And in the beginning, I guess pe- developers were not sure whether miners would actually play along with that game. So, like actually replace the transactions. And so, because they weren't sure about that, it was a bit risky to to take those fees into account because you didn't know if those fees actually mattered or not Uh, but they do and more people are using rbf so now the fee estimation takes into account uh the the fees of the transactions whose fee was bumped
0: right and and so to be more or to be very clear about that the 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 fees we're talking about here the rbf transactions we're talking about here are essentially other people's rbf transactions yeah right so to reiterate that really quick rbf you know you send a transaction And it's taking longer to confirm than you anticipated, or for some reason, you're in more of a rush all of a sudden, then you have the option to basically resend the same transaction to the network, but include a higher fee this time. And that newer transaction should sort of override the older transaction. The miners should pick that one because it has a higher fee, essentially. Exactly. So then... The transactions that are gonna be confirmed in blocks essentially have higher fees now. If if all miners will adopt or you know accept these RBF transactions, and therefore your own transaction, if you're gonna send it, would also require a bit of a higher fee, and that's now taken into account.
1: Yeah, I mean, right? Just the, the one nuance there is not necessarily that fees will actually go up, right? Because people will make more conservative estimates and then increase them, so effectively fees might be lower. But um, but yeah, basically you have to take them into account. You have to look at what transactions actually go into the block.
0: Well, your own estimate, the estimates that your Bitcoin Core client makes, like let's say I want to have my fee, I sorry, I want to have my transaction confirmed within twenty four hours. Now that it is taken into account, RBF transactions from other people will should mean that my fee estimation will be slightly higher now, right?
1: Well, that's what I thought yesterday too, but now that I think about it, I think that's not actually true because. RBF transactions, what it's saying is it's now including transactions that have been fee bumped. Yep. But I don't know if it previously excluded those transactions or excluded transactions that were, were using the RBF flag but were not fee bumped.
0: I don't get that at all.
1: So isn't there's, that, there's three that, kinds of transactions. The there's three kinds of transactions, right? There's transactions that don't use RBF at all. There's <laughs> transactions that set the RBF flag but don't bump the fee. And there's transactions that have now a higher fee. Yes. Yeah, so the transactions that now have a higher fee are always higher than the ones that don't. So yeah, I know I guess you're right. It would increase the um, the price uh, the fee estimates. It, it would have
0: to, right? There's no way it can be lower if it's going to take into account RBF transactions. So it, Yeah. It, you know, it might stay the well, same it, in it some cases, if, it's if either it depends if same or higher.
1: It depends. If it was taking if it was discounting all RBF transactions regardless of whether the fee was bumped or not, then it's different. Because if the algorithm was only looking at transactions that don't have the RBF flag at all, and now it's also looking at transactions that do have the RBF well, that, flag, that well, be, those might be all systematically lower. So,
0: Yeah, I guess that's true, but that would be a strange policy if that was the case. I it, mean, it's it, it may
1: be, but that would be a good reason to revert it. Yes. So I guess we should have read the pull request a bit better. Um, <laughs> all right. You well, can do so yourself.
0: In either case, that's um, that's kind of a detail. The important thing is RBF transactions are now taken into account by for fee estimation. Essentially, to summarize that in one sentence, fee estimation should be a bit better now. Yep. All right. Let's talk about tether. Let's talk about tether. sure you want to talk about tether? Uh, yeah. Oh, is it actually tether? USDC? Uh, oh, you know that's another one, right? I think uh, that's- tether should be USDT or. Yeah. Uh, something like that. Well, anyway,
1: uh, oh, it is USDT. It does I it. actually just wrote it wrong in the show notes. Yeah, it's right. USDT, but it doesn't stand for Tether. Uh, it stands for User Space Statically Defined Tracing for Bitcoin Core. Aha! It's only now that I understand your pun. Then. you oh. made a
0: pun in the show notes. That's great. We're back to puns. We we need more puns in our in our show. But I make the pun again because maybe people didn't get it.
1: No, that's fine. They can re-listen to the episode. <laughs> All right. And I, I kind of ruined it anyway. So anyway, so the basic idea here is that I don't really understand what the basic idea is. But it uh, trace points are tools that developers can use, but also people who want to monitor their own node can use to get really fine grade statistics out of their node. So for example, uh, you know, you can, you can ask your node for things. You can call the node RPC. You can say, okay, give me the list of blocks you have or give me the list of peers you have. There's a RPC call for that. Um, And you can read log files, and that tells you something. But this is just another way to get more detailed information. So one of the details you can get is every message that every node ever sends to you. So all of your peers keep sending you all sorts of messages. And now there's a better tool that you can use to kind of track those messages in a database.
0: Okay, well, let's break this down a little bit. First of all, this seems to me, this sounds like something, this is useful for developers specifically, right? Or is this something users are going to use for some reason? I would
1: say developers, but also say researchers, like, you know, Jameson Law, for example, when he does all these analysis of whatever's going on, right. he could use this, or I think security researchers might find this interesting because they could run a bunch of nodes and check all the message traffic that's coming at those nodes and maybe identify attacks by something subtle, right? So sometimes, like we talked about uh, an attack on the Bitcoin peer-to-peer network a few episodes ago where people were announcing fake nodes. And that's something you probably wouldn't be able to detect if you just looked at, you know, if you just start your Bitcoin core GUI, it doesn't get hot or it doesn't scream at you yet there is an attack going on. So these kind of tools would make it much easier to see that this attack is going on. Okay,
0: so let one small step back, just yep. for my own understanding, and I guess the listeners as well, since they're listening, hopefully.
1: That's why we explain so, things.
0: <laughs> first of all, you just mentioned lock files. So a lock file basically keeps track of Every action your Bitcoin Core node does, Is, depending right? depending
1: on how you configure it, you can tell it to keep track of uh, quite a lot of detail. Yes. Yeah. But okay. it's just a long text file, mm-hmm. and each line has start for the timestamp, and then it says, "Okay, this happened. Okay, this happened," and and then you know, if you want to process that data, it can be quite tedious. Right. And not everything goes into the log file either.
0: Okay, but this was already possible. Yes. And so now we're talking about user space statistically defined tracing and if i so if i'm trying to understand you it's like a more specific type of log file it it tracks more specific things or yeah that...
1: that's that's what i understand too but i don't completely understand it either but i guess it it really ties better into the operating system and it's a way to to communicate this information in a more structured way than just a text file
0: right so the, the example you gave was something related to the peer to peer network you give it a very specific instruction you don't have to log everything you just log you whatever other nodes are communicating with you or whatever data other nodes are sending to you and that's sort of um Bitcoin Core now has the option to keep track of that in a way that's easy to understand by other types of software, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, yeah, as you mentioned, useful for developers, useful for researchers, uh, not something a regular user will use in general.
1: No, I don't think so.
0: Okay. That's pretty clear to me. Oh, I, I completely lost access to the... To, to our show notes there we uh, go i'm back i'm you're back, back? you're back i'm back um <clears throat> next point Shores. are you ready yeah i'm ready uh back 32 how do i pronounce bech? is that how i pronounce it that's probably a very dutch way of pronouncing yeah
1: it. i think i would say bech 32 but others say batch 32 bech,
0: yeah b-e-c-h H thirty two. batch 32 um I forgot why this is in the show notes. But well, I'm sure so, you remember. So,
1: as you may remember, the batch 32 checksum has some nice properties. One of them is that it allows you locate where your typos are.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. So, batch 32 is a type of address. Yep. And this type of address has nine. We did a previous episode on addresses. Which episode is that? Yes,
1: we addressed this. <laughs> oh, great! I, I think it. it was probably episode. 2 or something. It was was, was pretty early early, I think, yeah. And one of the things we explained indeed is that this this new address format that starts with bc1 um, will have the nice property that if you make a typo in it, you can actually find out where it was to do mathematical magic. And so that was already possible in theory, but it wasn't supported in practice. And now Bitcoin Core will let you do it, at least if you use the command line in this release, and then maybe in a future release, there's already some work for that. Um, You can do it in the GUI.
0: Right. So, if someone, for some reason, would you know type out an address instead of just copy and paste, and they make a typo, then your Bitcoin Core client will tell you there's a there's a typo in it, and it's there. Right. That's, yeah. That's basically what will happen.
1: And there's some discussion about up to what point that's safe, because there's a situation. It could be situations where you make too many typos, uh, that- and then. Um, it might think you actually meant another address and it might actually help you accidentally change the address into a different address, which is even worse than the address not working. Sure,
0: it's kind of like other correct in that sense. Yeah, where but, but if you're using the command the line, word.
1: yeah, if you're using the command line, then you should know what you're doing. So it's easier to introduce these features there.
0: Yo, what is going on, guys? We are proud to have Voltage as a sponsor of this episode. How many of you developers out there have wanted a streamlined infrastructure provider for your particular project? Well, I'll tell you what. Voltage is the Bitcoin infrastructure provider you have been looking for that makes building on Bitcoin quick and easy, whether it's Bitcoin nodes, Lightning nodes, BTC pay, and so much more. But don't take it from me. Just ask the guys over at Amboss, Sphinx, Podcast Index, and Thunder Games, and so many others that you guys already know and love. Their enterprise-grade products make it fast and easy to build, deploy, and scale your next project. So make it easy on yourself. Even Normie Plebs can use the dashboard or API. Don't wait before the next block confirmation. Let your team focus on building great products and let Voltage handle all the rest. Voltage is your go-to zero management Bitcoin infrastructure solution. Nice. All right. Next point. Uh, We're getting there. Yeah, new new two, wa- new two wall- or three more to go,
1: right? All right. Yep. Yep. Um, wallet support for Taproot. That's right. Um, I think more precisely, um, new wallets will support Taproot. So if you create a new wallet, okay, it will have Taproot support. It won't use it by default, but you can. Uh, so the other change there is that there's a little drop down menu where the where the checkbox used to be for Back thirty two. Mm-hmm. Now, there's going to be a drop down menu where you can choose, where it's, it still uses SegWit by default, but you can actually select Taproot as well.
0: So, what does that exactly mean? Like, what does it mean to use Taproot in this case? Well, you'll,
1: you'll get an address that starts with uh, BC1P instead of BC1Q. Right. And it's a Taproot single signature uh, pay to public key.
0: Right. So, it doesn't mean that you're somehow automatically using all the fancy multi sig no. options and time lock options that are all sort of hidden in this tree. It's still a regular single key transaction, yep. but you are using a taproot address. So Which a, has at, almost at least, no benefit,
1: but you can do it.
0: Yeah, it has a little bit of benefit for yourself. The, the point in this case, I guess, is that anyone monitoring the blockchain, you know, that's sort of one of the nice things about taproot, they won't be able to tell if it was in fact just a single key transaction or maybe that was like a fancy script hidden behind it. It looks yeah. the same. That's right. Right. So we're kind of working towards this future. Like that's part of the vision of Taproot where every transaction kind of looks the same. Yeah. And people won't know what kind of transaction is really sort of hidden behind it and by moving in this direction. I'm repeating myself, but we're yeah, moving the tra- in this direction.
1: The transition phase is always a bit risky. Right. Right. Because now, you know, how many wallets actually can do this? Not that many. So it might actually tell people that you're using Bitcoin Core, but... Yeah, that's something to think about, but it's not the default yet. And yeah, the other the, reason it's not the default is because some wallets cannot send to a taproot address.
0: Yeah, in the, in the short term, in the transition phase, you're arguably a bit worse off privacy wise, but then once people migrate to this new standard, then everyone should benefit. That's basically the short version of the story here, right? Yeah. Okay, so we're heading in that direction. Yeah. Um, you can, uh, next next point, in case I wasn't clear, we're moving to the next point. You can now freeze coins in your wallets.
1: Yeah, so it was already possible when you're using the Bitcoin Core GUI to send coins, you have something called manual coin selection that you can turn on if you like to actually decide which specific coins you want to spend. And it'll give you a nice, well, nice, depending on who you ask, uh, graphical picture graphical display of of which coins you have and you can select boxes and say i want to use this coin i want to use this coin and it also had the opposite feature where you could say well i don't care which coin to use but don't use this one and this one and this one because they come from some bad source that i don't want to mix with my other coins
0: well that's that's the new thing right what you just said no it was already there the
1: only problem is you have to do it every time you Ah. want to make a new transaction it didn't remember it Right, um,
0: right. Yeah. So I mean, you're, at saying, least not you're between saying
1: startups of the Bitcoin Corp. Yep.
0: Right. So you're saying coins, which is also the, what I often use. It's the easy to understand thing. Technically, they're UTXOs, of course. Yeah. They're just you know the fractions of Bitcoin that you received over time that are in your wallet. And it was always possible if you make a transaction that you tell your Bitcoin Core wallet, "I want to use these fractions to create a new transaction," or like you said uh don't use these fractions to create my new transaction right so this don't use these fractions to make a new transaction that future is now uh you you can basically tell your node don't use these fractions until i tell you otherwise that's right for the rest of time
1: yeah exactly it remembers it right and that can be nice like uh, you know there's a couple of reasons like i said you might maybe you your wallet has Lots of coins from KYC places, uh, KYC free places, I mean. But it has one coin that you got from Coinbase. And you just never want to use that coin from Coinbase because then Coinbase can tell all your other coins as they're spying on you, probably. Right. So that's, you know, so you can basically mark that coin as toxic until you decide to spend it. Yeah, it remembers that. But it can also be if if you have something like a dust attack. So somebody like an analytics company might be sending very small amounts of dust those very small amounts, basically, to Bitcoin addresses that it knows about. And then it's hoping that your wallet will automatically grab those coins and combine them with the other coins in your wallet. Therefore, by revealing uh, that you own that old address and as well as the new address. So now you can disable those two if you see this attack. Right. It's pretty advanced stuff, but it's it's nice to, that it works.
0: So freezing them is like a manual thing. You click a button. Oh, sorry. Freezing is like a manual thing. You click a button, now they're frozen. And then unfreezing is also a manual thing. Or could you also say, don't use them for a year, and after a year, they're automatically...
1: No, it's not that advanced. You just you just select it, and you deselect it.
0: Right. All right. We have a bonus item. Exciting. This is very exciting, a bonus item. Sure, I cannot wait to sorry. hear what the bonus item is. So as we
1: mentioned, there were multiple release candidates. And then there was release candidate number four. And somebody on Windows found a bug and it was a very obscure bug. It's like if I go to this screen and then uh, this other screen and I wait a few seconds, my node crashes. So this is something many people would not even test because when there's a new release, you generally test things that are new in that release. But in this case, somebody was just testing existing functionality and ran into this crash and people investigated it and it turned out to be some really obscure Windows only bug in the C compiler that bitcoin core is using. And so people actually had to fix a C compiler in order right. to get to fix bitcoin core and that took another a like, couple weeks.
0: Right. So the C compiler that's not even part of bitcoin core. That's just a separate program in Windows that will compile your code into binaries, right?
1: Yeah. Or a program on Linux probably that will compile your code so that it runs on Windows. Right.
0: Yeah. So and there was a bug in that separate piece of software, in the compiler, and therefore a bug pops up in Bitcoin Core.
1: Yeah, but only in Windows and only in that specific place. So it was very lucky that people even ran into it. I mean, that specific bug wasn't the end of the world. It's very annoying. But you know, if there's a bug in the compiler that can cause things to crash, you you don't want to think about what other things that bug could cause, so it's better to just deal with it. Right, and we've also made an episode about this, George. Which episode was that? The episode about geeks, basically, where right. we talked about uh, dependencies and the uh, dependency circus.
0: Right, so here we have a concrete example of essentially a dependency of an embargo and therefore causing problems in Bitcoin Core. So how was this solved then? Is this solved?
1: Yeah, I believe it's solved. So th- I, th- I think so there was the... a... So there's two ways, two, two things usually that happen at the same time. One is you, once you figure out what it is, you go to the developers of this dependency project, so the, the compiler people probably, And you tell them this is broken, and here's how you can fix it. And then they will put that into their normal flow, and eventually they'll release an update where it's fixed. But you may not want to wait for that. So there's something called patches, where um, in Bitcoin Core there's a bunch of these small snippets of code that before Bitcoin Core is compiled, it first patches whatever needs to be patched, and then it compiles. So basically, Bitcoin Core creates a little patch that fixes the compiler before it builds Bitcoin Core.
0: Who creates these patches? Bitcoin Core Developers, actually. All right. Whoever
1: fixes the original issue, right? So it could be a Bitcoin Core Developer that fixes the issue for the compiler people. It could be the compiler people that fix the issue themselves, uh, but they haven't published the fix yet. They haven't published a new binary for the fix yet. So then you would just copy-paste their fix. It doesn't really matter who does it
0: right but in this case do you know who created the patch by any chance
1: probably fanquake but i'm not sure
0: right so someone created uh, f- f- create this patch fixed the upstream problem or is it downstream is it upstream or downstream sure. i
1: think it's upstream <laughs> yeah
0: I, I would say upstream right uh, yeah i'd say upstream yeah it has to be upstream uh so someone fixed the upstream problem and now Bitcoin Core B- should be compiled without the box. So that's yep. Release Candidate 5. Exactly. Well, we're testing that now, I guess, while we're recording this podcast. Yeah, and then
1: hopefully uh, nothing else is broken and then it can be released.
0: Great. Where do people find this software if they want to download it?
1: I think the if they want to test the Release Candidate, they should go to the probably the Bitcoin Developer email, email list where there's an announcement that says, hey, you can download the Release Candidate here. Uh, If you just want to wait for the real thing, it'll show up on BitcoinCore.org eventually.
0: All right, great. I think that covers it, George.
1: Cool. Well, thank you for listening to Bitcoin Explained.